0: to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Wednesday, April 14th. 2021. This is Shannon, and today I'm here with Amber and Brooke, and we are talking about books set in Australia. This is an episode that I've thought about for a long time, and we just haven't pulled it together until now, but here it is. So we have all kinds of great books to recommend for you. I hope you love them as much as we have. And I'm going to start out, as always, with the housekeeping information. Then I will turn it over to Amber, who will get us started, followed by Brooke. And then this time I will end the round. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there.
1: Okay. So my first book of the evening uh, deserves a little bit of an intro. So um, when I was at work one day, for some reason, we started talking about Australia and we started talking about the Tasmanian devil. Um, And if you don't know anything about Tasmanian devils, they are marsupials, but they're like carnivores. And a friend of mine at work told me go online and listen to these little creatures, you know, make their noise. And I did. And it's like the most terrifying thing that you have ever seen and your, heard in your life. Um, and then I started doing research on them and I found this book and it's called uh, saving the Tasmanian devil, how science is helping the world's largest Mar- marsupial carnivore survive. And it's by Dorothy Hinshaw Patent. So this book is a young adult book and it talks about a disease that is spreading through the Tasmanian devil colonies in Australia. It's called devil facial tumor disease. Oh. And it is a cancer that spreads from devil to devil because they bite each other. Oh. Um, and it's really oh. it's really interesting and super scary because it's actually wiping out like the wild population of the Tasmanian devil and you know as as people know like Australia is the only place who has them so if they're wiped out in the wild like they're done. Um, so this book actually talks about not only you know like how they're trying to save the Tasmanian devil um, you know, this really unique creature that is nowhere else in the world, so how they're trying to save it, um, but also, you know, it also goes into, like, cancer research, and, like, how they're kind of using, you know, the experiments and things with with the Tasmanian devil in order to, you know, work on human cancers as well, so it was just a really interesting, it's very short, and there are gorgeous photos throughout this book um, you know just of different like landscapes and things like that so you know if you really want to see some really good photos and things like that and just really learn about a really interesting creature I would definitely recommend this book and again it's Saving the Tasmanian Devil How Science is Helping the World's Largest Marsupial Carnivore Survive and it's by Dorothy Hinshaw Penn.
2: Awesome. You always read such interesting books, Amber. I always see you on Goodreads, and I'm like, holy she, I don't even know where she finds these books because they're always so interesting sounding.
1: <laughs> well, and you know, it's so funny because I would not have found out about this but I was like binging on YouTube one day and I came across an Australian park manager and that's one of his really big passions is the Tasmanian devil. And he got really emotional about it. And at first I couldn't figure out why, but like, they're such unique little creatures. I mean, they're kind of scary, but they're so unique and, and like, they're like my spirit animal. And I don't know what that says about me, but
2: whatever, it's fine. So my first book this evening is Scrublands Martin Skarsden number one by Chris Hammer so this book is about a reporter named Martin and he has PTSD because he was doing some reporting in Gaza and he kind of became part of the news so you can only imagine what could have happened to him So he sent out to a small community in Australia called um, River's End, and I'm pretty sure it's fictional. Um, And he's being asked to do like a kind of a, what do I call it? I'm trying to think, like a kind of meet the people or see what are the people doing now kind of um, report. So a year prior to this, a... Pastor opened fire on his parishioners and killed five of his parishioners, and then was killed himself by um, a police officer. So Martin's asked to come and do some reporting and find out, like, how is the community survive? Like, how are they recovering? And like, to learn more about the story. So while he's doing this, he is kind of surprised when he first arrives at like how everyone, even people like families of the victims are talking really positively about the pastor. Like they really, they really kind of still hold him in high regard. And this really kind of surprises Martin because he kind of went into this whole story kind of thinking oh I'm going to be writing about this really bad guy but he ends up making friends um and also later a relationship with a bookstore slash cafe owner named Mandy and she says that there's more to the story and that this pastor wasn't all that everyone says he was. Like he wasn't a pedophile, even though they say he was. he was. He was kind of a champion for the youth and he was very good for the community. So Martin decides that he's gonna do some research and he wants to learn more about the situation. So while this is all happening, we're kind of learning about the community and they're, they're going through a drought and it's very, very hot. And one thing I was mentioning to Amber while we were setting this up was that the way that Chris Hammer has written the book, it's almost like the setting or the atmosphere is part of like, is almost a character in its own. So like the heat and just all that goes along with that. So like at one point, um, there's a forest fire and, or a bushfire and Martin's asked to come help out, which I kind of thought was a little bit odd because I don't think people would just randomly say, hey, yo, man, do you want to come and help out, help fight a fire. Like that just seems a little random to me. But um, he ends up saving a young guy during this forest fire. And that ends up kind of increasing his popularity in the city, in the town. So people are more likely to want to talk to him So while he's doing his research, he's also being having obstacles placed in front of him because there's some people that really don't want him to know what's happening. So some things start happening and then a lot of reporters end up coming to the community. And I'm going to stop there because I don't want to spoil anything. But I really enjoyed this book. But this book is the first in a series. So far, there are three books in the series and they are silver is the second one and trust is the third one so i read the second one and it was actually i'd almost say it was better than this one so Mm -hmm. i recommend checking out this book so it is scrublands martin Scarsden, number one by chris hammer
1: so do all of the books take place in australia or do they go other places
2: Um, so far like I haven't read Trust yet but as Mm -hmm. far as I can tell they all do happen like so they're not um, they end up like the second book it doesn't take place in River's End I think it takes place in a community that's kind of close though (laughs)
0: <laughs> when you were talking about the setting almost being a character in itself, it made me think of The Lost Man by Jane Harper. Um, she writes Australian fiction just so, so vividly so that you can actually like almost experience the setting.
2: Yeah, I was saying that to Amber as well, that um, I'd almost compare him to Jane Harper. I'd say that he does write very similar
0: awesome all right so i am taking us from nonfiction to mystery to urban fantasy oh because i think urban fantasy set in australia is very very awesome so we are going to talk about blood kissed lizzie grace book one by carrie arthur and i first learned about carrie arthur years ago with her riley jensen series but the series is pretty popular. So I wanted to highlight one of her other kind of newer series. So the Lizzie Grace series is about a witch named, as you might imagine, Lizzie's, and her best friend, Belle. And they are kind of almost on the run from Lizzie's family. Something happened in Lizzie's past that resulted in the death of her sister and Lizzie feels a lot of inner guilt about this and her parents, at least from what are, seem to at least to some degree blame her for this. So Lizzie and Belle are kind of staying under the radar as best they can. They have opened a cafe on a shifter reserve And the shifters are not fans of witches like whatsoever. And so they are trying to stay kind of under the radar for more than one reason. But when Lizzie is asked to help locate a missing girl, this kind of thrusts them right into the middle of this investigation that has really far reaching consequences, not only for Lizzie, but for the shifters that she's gotten to know. And in some ways, perhaps, for sort of life as she knows it. Um, The relationship between Lizzie and Belle, I think, is one of the cornerstones of this book. Not only are they best friends, but it turns out that Belle is... Lizzie's familiar, which I thought was really interesting, because usually you have like a witch, you know, having that kind of relationship with an animal. And I really enjoyed the the dynamics um, between these two, both because of their friendship and because of their magical link. There's also uh, what seems like it will turn into a romance between Lizzie and one of the shifters who lives on the reserve. So... As I've come to expect from Carrie Arthur, this was really, really a great start to a series. I have since bought the second book and definitely plan to continue. I think there are seven in the series so far, Mm. and I'm not sure how many she's planning altogether. But if you've never read Carrie, I would highly recommend checking it out. This is Blood Kissed, Lizzie Grace, book one by Carrie Arthur.
2: That was such a good book and a, such a good series I've read. I saw you reading it and I was, I was intrigued and I started reading it and I, and I couldn't stop.
1: It sounds really good so and good. The, whole, the whole premise of, of another person being her familiar is super interesting to me. Yes, I love that. Yes. My second book is actually called Follow the Rabbit Proof Fence. And it's by oh. uh, Doris Pilkington. And so um, I actually learned about this. Um, I actually studied in Australia for a year in the oh. early 2000s. So and cool. when I was Yeah. And when I was there, one of the really popular things that had just come out was the movie of Follow the Rabbit Proof Fence. And it's based on a book, which, you know, this is the book. Um, and basically, it's very short, but it... Um, so in the 1930s, they came up... With, the Australian government came up with a Aborigine protection program. And it basically was the same thing that they did in the U.S. and Canada, where they took Aboriginal children away from their families. Um, but it, it was actually more focused towards half white half aboriginal children oh. um and this book actually follows molly gracie and daisy um and they are half white half aboriginal and at the age of molly was like 14 gracie you know was gracie and daisy were a little younger they um they're their cousins and they all got taken you know way far away from their families like over a thousand miles I think it was you know to a residential facility and it was horrible and they escaped and um the the Australian government back in in that day in western Australia built what's what was called a rabbit proof fence because basically what happened was rabbits were going crazy breeding like crazy and they did not want the, the government did not want rabbits coming into West, you know, Western Australia. So they built this fence, literally, it was like a thousand miles long. And, you know, of course it didn't work. The rabbits, you know, got through anyway, but, um, one of the girls, her, her father you know, worked on the fence as like a a guard. And he always told her, you know, if you ever need to find your way home, if you follow the rabbit proof fence and go north, you will find us. Um, And this is actually the story of how they did that. They escaped from, you know, the residential facility, and how they literally followed the rabbit proof fence home. And interspersed throughout the story, um, you know, our are the accounts from the files of, like, how they tried to find them and, you know, stuff like that. Um, And it's just a really, really sad, you know, true story of what happened with these Indigenous girls. And, you know, it goes into what happened afterwards. Um, And if you can get the Audible version of it, it's really interesting because it has, like, you know, Aboriginal music and stuff kind of throughout and there are a lot of Aboriginal terms in there as well, so it's definitely uh, you know worth buying if you can. It's fairly short; I think it's only like 150 pages. But it was really, it was a book that really hit me hard. So again, that's "Follows a Rabbit Proof Fence" by Doris Pilkington. The movie's really good too.
2: That sounds like a really interesting book. I will have to yeah. pick this up
1: yeah it is really good it'll uh it'll make you cry but it was I mean they literally walked barefoot you know because they don't they they didn't wear shoes and I mean think about it like over a thousand miles and you're walking barefoot
2: like that's amazing I couldn't even imagine it is amazing
1: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah so the next book that I'm gonna talk about is The Wife and the Widow by christian white so this is about two women there's kate who's the widow and abby the wife and the book starts with kate and her daughter mia and they're waiting at the airport for her husband john to come home he had been at a conference for 2 weeks in London. He's a palliative care doctor and they're waiting and he doesn't arrive. So she ends up calling his work and she discovers that he actually quit or resigned 3 months prior. And his work doesn't really know why he would go to this conference like they don't nothing to they have no idea. They're just He was burnt out, and it was suggested that he resign. So, of course, Kate is pretty distraught, and she ends up calling the police and her um, in-laws, and that kind of opens this investigation. Then we have the the wife. So the reason I talk to say like make sure you guys know the different things because the way that the book is broken down is you have it uh, like the chapter starts with like the wife that's how it's kind of labeled so you really have to pay attention when you're reading because you could miss knowing like who's talking so then we have Abby and she is a She works at a grocery store. She's got a really great family. And then she one day comes across a pornographic magazine. Um, It's got a bunch of naked men in it. And it just gets her kind of wondering, like it's found in her husband's workshop so she believes it's his and she just doesn't know it kind of turns her life inside out because she doesn't know what's what and then her friend who's a police officer tells her that the body of a man has been discovered at the docks and the docks are where people say that gay men get together so you could only imagine like what's they're thinking it's like a hate crime or something. Like it's pretty bad. So she's very much a crime buff and she d- decides that she wants to know like what's going on. Cause she also wonders like, could her husband be guilty? Cause she also discovers a few other things. Um, she finds like the at the beginning of the book. So it doesn't really cause any problems, but she, she finds um, some boots that look pretty brand new and also some work clothes in a garbage bag. So like her part kind of starts with her picking up a bunch of garbage that some raccoons had knocked over. And that's how she discovers these clothing. And while she's going to put the clothing into like a kind of a hidey hole, um, that's when she discovers, like, the magazine. So things are just not going too good for her. And I feel bad, but that's all I can give you because this book is really, really <laughs> short. Like, it's honestly... I think somebody said it was, like, 120 pages. It's a really short book. And if I give you too much, it can really, like, ruin things. And one thing I will make sure people know is to really pay attention because if you don't you're gonna miss things and there's so many twists and turns and then when the whole end is revealed if you're just like what what did I miss something what (laughs) so that's kind of how I felt after the book but I really 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 enjoyed it and I look forward to reading his other book and I think it's called the nowhere the No. I guess a nobody child or something like that. So this is The Wife and the Widow by Christian White.
0: I think it's like The Nowhere Child.
2: I think you're right. I think you're right. It was like, I just couldn't remember what it was, but I really look forward to reading it. So it's supposed to be really good.
0: Okay, so my next pick is a book that i discovered in mid 2020 it came out i think in australia in 2018 or 2019 but as is often the case didn't get published um, in the us until a bit later so this is amelia westlake was never here by aaron goff and this was just so fun it was like the perfect mix of kind of a light-hearted like YA story, but then underneath that are these deeper, much more thought-provoking messages. And I really appreciated that about this book. So this is the story of Harriet Price and she pretty much has her life figured out. She is 17, I believe. She attends this really elite like prep school Um, She's dating a girl who's pretty much on track to at one point, like at some point in the future, be the prime minister. Um, She's just like she's got everything figured out. She knows pretty much everything about her life and she likes it that way. We then meet Will Everhart and Will is the opposite of Harriet in pretty much every way you can think of. Um, She also attends this elite prep school but she's like pretty much ready to be um, expelled quickly (laughs) and she is very angry about what she views as the injustices that occur in the school. And at first you don't fully understand what these injustices are but as the story goes on you really dig into all of the inequalities that exist in a place like Ruznit. So Will and Harriet meet in kind of a a study hall class and they have up until now done their best to avoid one another. They are, I would say, everything that they each hate about the other's way of life. But they join forces to... Create what could be a really game-changing person in the history of Rosemead. So what they do is they start this blog and the person that they say writes this blog is a character that they've made up named Amelia Westlake. And through Amelia Westlake, they actually expose all of the bad things that occur at rosemead and they're really calling on teachers yes and they're really calling on like teachers and their fellow students to sit up and take notice and work to affect change and as this goes on they actually realized that they don't hate each other after all. And maybe getting to know people who live differently than you do, who think differently than you do, that that's not necessarily such a terrible thing. So I really loved this. Um, it was just Like, when I read it, it was the perfect book for the time that I was reading it, and I will definitely be keeping my eye out for more of Aaron Goff's writing. But this one, it was published in Australia under the name Amelia Westlake, but in the U.S., it is Amelia Westlake Was Never Here, and again, it's by Aaron Goff.
1: This sounds really good. I've never even heard of it before. I'm intrigued.
2: It's another book that I'll be adding to my TBR list.
1: Yes, there are several books that I've already grabbed, like just during the recording of this. It's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) So, my next book is a kind of a little bit of a bizarre one. It's called Picnic at Hanging Rock, and it is by Joan Lindsay. Um, So when this book starts off, the the author puts in like a little note and it says the reader has to decide if these events actually occurred. So what happened, there was a girl's school in 1900. There was a girl's school in uh, South Australia and the students and a couple of the teachers they decide they're going to go to have a picnic at a place called the Hanging Rock, which is from all I can gather, it's like a, a, rock formation. Um, and you know, it's very proper. It's a very, you know, proper English boarding school for Australian rich Australian girls and women. And throughout the book, which is very short, um, Three of the girls and one of the teachers disappears at Hanging Rock. One girl, um, and this isn't really a spoiler, one girl is found alive, but she can't tell anyone about where she's been. She doesn't remember anything. And it's just about how this event really causes the school and, you know, different characters to kind of unravel. It's 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 a weird book because you don't really know what's real, what's not real. Um, You know, I'm not going to ruin it for anyone and, and say because I actually did research it a little bit to find out, like, if this event actually occurred, like what what happened around the writing of this book, I actually watched. A little bit of an interview with the author, and that was weird in and of itself. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's, it's a really interesting mystery, supernatural horror, surreal read. It's, it's very bizarre, but it's very short. So, you know, if you're hanging out one day and you don't have anything else to do, definitely pick up this book because it's kind of a mind bender. And again, it is Picnic at Hanging Rock by Joan Lindsay.
2: So my next book is Crimson Lake, Crimson Lake Book One by Candace Fox. And this book is about a police officer named Ted. And Ted has been accused of abducting and raping a teenager. And what happened was he like he has like a newborn daughter and his and his wife is just feeling like overwhelmed and him and they were him and his wife were fighting and he decided to take a break like he decided to go for a drive so that they could both cool down and stuff like that and so he's on a drive and he ends up stopping by a bus stop where this girl Claire is at waiting for the bus and he stops to fix something in his back seat. So one witness says that they saw him fixing something in the back seat. Another witness says they saw him talking to the girl, which he does say he did. He, d- he just said hi and asked her, like, oh, are you waiting for the bus? Like, nice day. Like, kind of just the usual things that you say to people that you see. Um, and then, like, some other witnesses say different things and so in these 6 minutes between when he stops and when he's next seen at a convenience store she is abducted and raped so he is in jail for a few months until the um the prosecution they dropped the case because there's just not enough um not enough evidence and so his life is ruined his wife has turned her back on him um his fellow cops have also turned their back on him so he decides to head to crimson lake um and restart his life and figure out like what he wants to do next so his lawyer being a great guy that he is, he suggests that he should talk to a woman named Amanda um, Farrell, who is a private investigator, because he thinks that Ted will enjoy working with her. So Amanda is a very quirky woman. She is also um, an ex-con. She has been accused and sentenced, like um, she's served her time for supposedly killing a friend um what had happened was well what the situation is that her this woman this girl i think her name was lauren she's found in the back seat all stabbed and amanda is found naked in the in the trunk and somehow the police believe that she did it and then that she took off her clothes and hopped in the truck. So I'm not really sure how that works, but that's what they believe. And she was sentenced and served her time. So now um, she's in this small town and Ted has decided to work with her. So she's very quirky. Um, Some of the things that she says, you just like are like, I can't believe she said that. Um, Some of the things that she does is just kind of out of this world, but she's kind of a person that doesn't really care what others think about her. And one thing that I thought was interesting is she bikes everywhere. Like ever since the whole situation in the car happened, she will not go in a car. Like in one part, um, she got like drunk. So Ted decided to drive her home and she freaked right out, like had a total like panic attack in her, in his car. So they're working together. They have a case. Um, a celebrity author has gone missing but they think he's dead they think he was eaten by an alligator or something like that and through this investigation they learn about obsessed fans um they learn about how his marriage isn't really a marriage um they meet his son who is a little bit odd and They're kind of investigating. And while this is all happening, Ted is also, in. he doesn't really believe that Amanda did what she's been accused and served her time for. So he's investigating the whole situation. And he's kind of using his connections or at least the little bit of connection that he still has. And the cops, there's these like two cops in this small town that are like, causing him problems and also a reporter has found him and he's kind of like a pariah like he's being treated like a pariah so like a lot of the communities doing things to his house so they've like some people like some kids threw some paint on his um like on the front of his house and stuff like that because they want him to get out of there And they also like the cops don't want him working with Amanda. And then also Amanda has taken it upon herself to also investigate Ted's case, because similar to his feelings, she doesn't believe that he did it. Um, She believes him because he says, no, I didn't do it. And she believes him. So I really liked this book. Like, I just thought it was I loved how quirky she was. I loved how they each had their issues, but they each wanted to help each other without like kind of in the background. They didn't kind of, they didn't want each other to know that they were trying to help each other. So I really enjoyed this book. Um, It's called Crimson Lake, Crimson Lake Book One by Candace Fox.
0: I read this too, and I really liked it. All right, so my next book comes with a plea for other um, recommendations, if people have them. I really wanted to include work by indigenous authors in this episode. Um, I think it's important to to elevate the voices of indigenous authors when we can, especially in places where indigenous people's rights are kind of stomped upon. And I did quite a bit of research and I didn't find a lot of of information about indigenous Australian authors, but I did find this book. So this is Too Much Lip by Melissa Lukashenko. And this is the story of the Salter family. We see it mostly from the point of view of Carrie And Carrie is a woman who has in many ways, just lost herself. Um, She fled from her home years ago and has not wanted to come back. But as she left home, she found herself involved in a lot of not great situations. Um, Currently her partner, who she's pretty sure is the love of her life is in prison for robbery. And Carrie is kind of just set adrift. And then she learns that her grandfather is dying. So she returns home to this small, small town, um, which is not far from a reserve for, um, for indigenous people. And she is sort of thrust back into everything that she thought she left behind. And you really see the ways in which indigenous people are continuously oppressed by the people around them, the people who for various reasons have more power than they do. Um, There is some land that was very, very important to Carrie's grandparents. And it is also the burial ground for many of their ancestors and there are these really slimy individuals who want to, of course, develop this land, and they would like to put a prison there. And Carrie and her brother, um, her brother is not a stellar individual either, but you can kind of, as you get to know more about him, you can kind of stand what has made him to the person that we see on the page. Um, they are trying hard to kind of stand against these plans to, to develop this land. Um, We see Carrie's mother who is in mourning for an grandfather and who just really isn't sure how she fits into the world. Like she's a mother, she's a daughter, but she doesn't feel like she's done any of this very well at all. Um, She's a tarot reader and she sort of has turned her life into this constant search for a sign. Um, Carrie is a, a very hard, bitter character and sometimes this does make her a little bit difficult to connect with, but as you get to know her and really understand her struggles and all of the things that she sort of dreamed of having for that not able to have, Um, she becomes a really relatable character by the time the novel ends. Um, At first, I couldn't tell if this was supposed to be like a thriller or a women's fiction novel or maybe a family saga. It's hard to, to quantify, but it's one that I do really recommend, especially if you are looking to read more, um, more work by indigenous voices. So this is Too Much by Melissa Lukashenko. And if people, either listeners or fellow podcast hostesses have more recommendations for books by indigenous authors, I would love to have them. My last book of the
1: evening is called Fled by Meg Keneally. Meg Keneally is actually the daughter of Thomas Keneally, who wrote A Commonwealth of Thieves, which kind of deserves an honorable mention, um, which is about you know the convicts who settled Australia. But Meg Keneally wrote Fled, and it is about a woman named Jenny, who is a highway robber in England, and she gets caught and is sent to Australia Um, you know, for punishment, basically, that was in England. That was kind of what they did in like the 17th and 1800s, when they, you know, the prisons were full, it was overcrowded. So they would send these convicts to Australia. And Jenny was among the first to arrive. And, you know, it, it's historical fiction, but it talks about you know, the struggles that they faced and, you know, um, dealing with a land and a people that they did not understand um, and how desperate they really were. I mean, you know, how many people starved to death and stuff like that, because they had no idea what they were doing. Um, And actually, Jenny and a a couple of other people escape. um, And it it is the first escape ever recorded, um, you know, with convicts that was successful. Um, and then, you know, it just shows the consequences of like what happened to her and her family. And, you know, it's, it's a really, it's it's a big saga, but it's very, very good. And, um, you know, it, it brings up a lot of things that like, I never thought of, like, you know, I always kind of thought of convict ships as like, they filled them up really quickly, and then they left. But actually, like these convict ships were like in the harbor in London for like four or five months at a time, and they were basically jails before they even sailed. They would just put these women on the convict ships, and you know, like they were there for like six months before they even left. Um, so you know, it's just a lot of stuff I never really even thought of. Um, I will put a trigger warning on this. There is talk of sexual assault. Um, So, you know, that that is a trigger warning for people. But it is a really good, very thoughtfully done book based on an actual woman. And Meg Keneally actually talks about it in the afterword of the book. And she gives resources. So if you're interested in, you know, reading more about things like that, uh, you definitely can. So, again, that book is Fled by Meg Keneally. This
0: looks so good.
1: It is really good. I was surprised you haven't read it yet. I was like, Shannon's going to take this one for sure. I bought
0: it. <laughs> oh, you bought it,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> nope, I bought it. And then I kept thinking like, oh, I need to read this. And then, of course, uh-huh. like more things appeared and tape's <laughs> getting like pushed back. But I need to like move it up.
2: Yeah. I read a, book. I read a book sometime in the last couple of months about – um, convicts going to Australia but I don't remember what the book was called
1: oh uh, now you're gonna make me look on your goodreads shelf to figure it out
2: I will look I will look Is it I will... Exiles? pardon me sorry yes I think you're right the
1: exiles oh okay 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 I have that one to read here too I was kind of tossing up between fled and exiles but I've had fled on my list longer
0: so right. I'm like I'm, re- I'm reading that one
2: I'm definitely adding
0: yeah another convict book is um dangerous women by hope adams oh yeah that i really really liked that sounds really good
2: so my last pick for tonight is the survivors by jane harper you really can't do an australian episode without talking about miss harper So this book takes place in a fictional town in Tasmania. So our main character, his name is Kieran. And twelve years ago, he was getting together with a girl named Olivia in a cave. And he wasn't really paying attention to the water coming so where this is you have to really pay attention to like the tide because if it gets like if a storm if it gets stormy for example like it's a really big stormy area or if like the tide gets too high then you aren't able to like get out of the cave so there's this like bronze statue that's on like the cliff outside of the cave and it's called the survivors and people tended to like pay attention to like where the water was on this um, statue so this day when Kieran and Olivia get together there is a storm that hits and they cannot see the statue at all this is how bad the storm is well somehow olivia gets back to land and she um calls for help for kieran and his brother and his friend um his brother's friend they decide to get a boat and go rescue kieran well sadly they run into the cliff. And die. And so while this is all happening as well, mm-hmm. another girl um named Gabby, which is Olivia's sister, she ends up going missing and is never seen again. So we don't know if those like those two situations, like they're not related, but this is what happened like on the same day, same time, 12 years prior. So Kieran is very like grief-ridden and he's very guilty and he's feeling a lot of regret. So he leaves and he stays away for 12 years. So the book starts with him and his girlfriend, Mia. Um, They come, they're like on the beach with their three-month-old daughter and he's just come back to help his parents move. Because his father has dementia and he needs to go to a home. And then his mother is going to move to like a place that's close to the home. So that she can see him as much as she wants. Um, And as we're getting to know Kieran, we're also meeting his friends. Um, There's Ash and who is now with Olivia. And they all kind of went to school together, like Olivia, Mia um ash sean like they all they're all like school buddies and so that's kind of how you you kind of get to know their um relationship with one another and stuff like that and we're also learning in the book about like how tragedy can really affect a family and like we learn about how kieran's family is never really like they've never really come to terms with what happened to his brother finn But at the same time, like they don't blame him, but he blames himself. So like he's been so guilt-ridden and so regretful that like he just hasn't wanted to start his life. Like so he's very much stuck in a rut. Well, an art an art student named Bronte or Bronte, she is found dead. And an investigation is opened and while this is all happening like the past kind of comes back like we all know that happens right and you can't really get away from it so I really really enjoy this book like her like her other books the setting is very much a character in its own um I'd say like this is called a thriller but I'd almost call it more of a character Like, it's kind of like a character building, Um, but I guess that's how I describe it. And, but I really, I'm like, I'm enjoying it. Like, I haven't quite finished it yet, but I'm really enjoying it. So this is The Survivors by Jane Harper.
0: I love Jane Harper. So my last pick tonight also is a mystery it actually has a few parallels to the book that Brooke was talking about. So this is The Dark Lake and it is Gemma Woodstock book one by Sarah Bailey. And this is a book that has been on my radar now for several years. I just now read it like a week ago and I'm so glad I did. I will definitely be picking up the sequel. So Gemma is a detective Sergeant. Um, she's kind of a, a prominent homicide investigator in this like rural Australian community. Um, she's married, she has a young son, but there's just a lot of things that Gemma is not happy with. Um And actually, now that I think about it, she is not married. She is in a long-term committed relationship with her son's father, but they aren't married. And that is a bone of contention between them. Gemma doesn't want to marry. Um, Her boyfriend is really about getting married and actually like settling down and kind of taking everything to the next level since their son is, is now like six months old. So Gemma is happy her partner in the police force and she feels sort of bad about this, but sort of not. And this, at first you don't really see it complicating like the way that they work together, but as the story goes on, it definitely starts to be a problem. So they are called to the scene of what could be a suicide, could be a murder. No one really knows at first. And the woman who is found deceased is someone named Rosalind Ryan, who Gemma went to school with years ago. And so there is some definite history between the two, which you don't fully understand until the book is nearly done. Um, We get a few things told to us in kind of like flashbacks to the past in Gemma's perspective, but you don't really understand how everything unfolded between them um, until pretty far along in the novel. So Rosalyn was like this shining star when they were in school together. Everybody loved her. She was a very, very talented actress. Um, And everyone sort of expected that she would do big things. So people were really when she came back to town um, not too long after graduation and became the drama teacher. um, People just sort of thought that, you know, she would be doing bigger, grander things. But it turns out that Rosalind is a woman with a lot of secrets and it is Gemma's belief that the secrets or at least one of them could be related to her death and could actually explain why, why she died, whether it was a murder or a suicide. So she starts looking into this and as she does, she also begins to wonder if some things that happened between them in the past could also be kind of coming back to haunt her. So it definitely does have some parallels to what Brooke was talking about in the ways that like the past comes back to us, even though we may try really hard to keep it from doing so Um, the ways in which tragedy affect a family and in some ways, the way tragedy um, affects a community as a whole. This was really, really well done. Um, I'm sorry that I waited so long to read it. It is The Dark Lake, Gemma Woodstock, Book One by Sarah Bailey.
2: When I was picking books to do, I actually mentioned this one to Shannon as one of the many books that I was looking at, and she's like, "Don't (laughs) touch it. It's mine." Oh, fine then. You can't have it. I've never. I know. Drew Rank. I know. I was like, holy, you've never done that to me. <clears throat> well, Shannon and I also had a bit of a discussion Don't over an
1: honorable, an honorable mention um, that we felt like we could not do an Australia episode without talking about it. But frankly, like neither one of us had read it in like 10 years and we didn't have time. And that is The Thorn Birds by Colleen McCullough and I don't remember much about this yes. I remember it being like a super saga and it was like a movie or a mini series back in like the 80s um that I didn't watch but I did read the book um and I remember hardly anything about it maybe you oh, Shannon, it. but like but like I it, it's like a 20 it's like a um audio I think it was like 25 hours and I'm like I don't have time to commit to this but it is a really good book I remember it being really good Shannon if you have any other details uh detail
0: away but you know
1: definitely check it out
0: it's this it's the story of a family who comes from Ireland to the Australian Outback, and Maggie, who is kind of the character that we follow for a big part of the book, is a young girl when this happens, and she grows up to have a deep and abiding love for a man who is actually a priest, and this becomes problematic in all kinds of ways. It is definitely a huge, like, saga of a book. I did watch the miniseries. My grandmother actually rented it for me um, from Blockbuster in, like, I don't know, 94 or 95. And it was like on four. um, Oh, wow. It was huge. Yeah. And I actually was looking for it um, because Kristen from the podcast team had said she thought that you could watch it on Netflix, and it turns out you can't, mm-hmm. but but, 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 you can watch it on YouTube. Um, you can rent better. it. See, I couldn't, oh, okay, I, okay. Yes. Oh, I, so, I was gonna I, say, yeah. I thought it
2: was free. So did I, I was so like, I, was like
0: yes! Oh, I didn't, you, no. I didn't know you could
2: rent stuff from No, YouTube. you can rent it. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know.
0: Yes, yes, you can. Yeah.
2: I have an older, book. so I
0: will probably be doing this. Do you?
2: Yes. So I was going to talk about it, but I read it a while ago. But um, the uh, Lexi Rogers series by Karen M. Davis. It was really, really good. Oh. I really, I really like her books. I can't huh. quite remember what the first book is called. It's good though. I'll look it up and
0: uh, make sure that it's in the show notes. So I will make sure that all of these are in the show notes, both the books that we like actually talked about at length and kind of the, the mentions that came in between the books so that if people want to look those up, they can. And this brings us to the end of our episode set in Australia. Thank you to Brooke and Amber for coming up with such great books for this episode. I appreciate it immensely. Thank you very much to Christine who will have some technical difficulties to sort out in this episode as technology is at least not my friend today. I don't know if it's anyone else's friend, but it's not mine. And so I appreciate the editing that she will do to turn this into at least a listenable episode. And thank you so much to each and every one of you who join us each week as we talk about all the great books. And if you know of any great work by Indigenous authors set in Australia, please drop me a line at any of the um, contact details listed at the beginning of the episode, because I would love to hear from you.